0: important is it for you to have somebody like Jan by your side when you're deciding the experience you want your clients to have?
1: So I've been coaching almost 20 years and the first 10, 12 years of my coaching practice, it was myself. And Jan would do the camera work behind the scenes. He would do the technology behind the scenes. He would do the websites and the programming and all of that behind the scenes. And I would get into a zone and I have a process to get into the zone. I will often either go in the shower or take a bath to warm my body and and free myself. When you take a shower, all the water hitting you at the same time creates what's called gateway. So it dissipates any kind of pain or any kind of focused stress. So it de-stresses me so that my mind can be free and open. Then I will light a candle. I'm very smell-driven. It activates lots of memories for me. So I'll do my aromatherapy. And then I'll have this kind of like moment where I'm writing like all the considerations and the judgments that I have of myself that may be in the way of me producing whatever could be produced so that I'm sure to really wipe the slate, wipe the slate, wipe the slate. And then as blank of a slate as I can be, then I begin to do the process of thinking. And the first thing I do is actually think of one or two of my clients because it helps me ground inside of what they're working through or how they're growing or what their need is or what their concern is or what their gratitude is or what their gift is. And so by understanding that I'm speaking to a certain audience, that helps me to create. When Jan and I started doing this together, the two things that happened, one, because his brain works differently than mine, I felt like we went deeper together because we were able to activate parts of each other that alone I didn't necessarily activate myself. So I loved that process. The second thing is we see the world through different lenses so deeply. My lens, I'm very connected to the masculine and the feminine and how we work together and what creates the space for magic to happen. And Jan is more of the structure and the boxes and the squares and the arrows and the the infrastructure and he really loves like i want to take you through the step-by-step process so that you understand that we're going to get here but this is how we're going to get there and i sometimes i'm like we're going to get here like this and it's going to be great and we're, and it feels very esoteric for people sometimes so while they love the energy that i deliver it in sometimes it's hard to grasp how do i actually do what you just said mm-hmm. so when we work together they get the best of both they get the expansiveness of the energy and the excitement and the readiness and the desire for both sides of, of a personality and a person to be experienced. And then they get the do this and then do this and then do this and there you go. Mm. And then go practice that a whole bunch of times and you'll have mastery.
0: How do you differentiate? I differentiate, and I don't say that we must differentiate, but the curiosity is because you, of course, are partners, life partners. You have kids together. You have uh, worked together now, and I've been to your house last weekend, which also have your office within the setting of your house. Mm-hmm. That seems like a lot of time together.
1: It's a lot of time <laughs> together, and I'll say. Uh, you-
0: how do you differentiate, now we are working, now we are playing, now we are you know, doing something else?
1: So good. Such a good question. I love that question. So, for Jian, he is in the world that he's in, and then he exits the world that he's in. So, sometimes I have to pull him out of the world he goes into to bring him back into the world we're in. And I would say that my role, as well as my personality, is I'm in it all the time. So, I have to leave the house or leave the environment, go on a trip, go on a girl's trip, go on a weekend, go visit my p- family in order to have Monica time. We were at yesterday the interview and we were coming home and I said to him, I'm so grateful how much fun we have together. So I think the key to us being able to be together as much as we possibly can be is because we look for places where we're playing And I think we also elicit our little ones. I think my little girl and his little boy love each other and play together and have so much fun co creating. Now, the the one thing that I will say that I think is interesting is that Jan and I, when he works with me, when we're actually creating something, he has all the patience in the world. He can hear my dumb ideas, he can hear my great ideas, he will compliment my ideas when I work with him, I get a lot more impatient. (laughs) I feel sometimes like, why do you think about it that way? What are you thinking that's going to produce? And I'll get impatient when he's in exploration. And I have to go inside of myself, knowing the tools to use and being like almost like coaching myself. Monica, you're crushing his creativity. Shh, be quiet. So sometimes in the process of that togetherness, I'll literally have to say, let's take a break for a second. I'll go. I'll get distract myself. And I think part of it is I get impatient because it doesn't happen as fast as it would happen if I was doing it, or it doesn't happen the way that it would be if I was doing it. So my brain goes to, I want to do it this way, and I want to do it the way that I know will produce this outcome, but that erases the magic. Mm -hmm. So... I think we spend a lot of time together because we just enjoy these moments of play and we navigate around any kind of conflict or difference.
0: Absolutely. So one thing that I've found, both of you, and at least that's my perception of it, and maybe that's why I can see that actually playing out exactly as you said it, is that I feel both of you have found a way to accept each other, if that is the right way to say it. How do you find a way to accept someone when they're so different to you?
1: Gosh, that's so good. That's such a straight question with such a complex experience
0: of it. (laughs) Yes, I I, I hear you. I I, want to know this.
1: Yeah. So I think that part of how I find my way to really accept who Jan is is that I've done so much work on accepting me and seeing how much conflict I have inside of myself when I'm critical of myself. Because if I can't let go of some of the judgments that I have... And by the way, right now, it's interesting that you're asking because I'm in a season of life where I have a lot of self-judgment, like waking up in the morning and feeling lots of self-judgment. So I recognize that when I'm there, my capacity to be open to everything around me is less. I feel a lot more sensitive. I feel a lot less open. I feel a lot more constricted and constrained. So the ability to have the sense of me, and I think that's what you're speaking to a little bit, is there's a deep sense of knowing and a deep sense of looking. I don't just think I've grown and I've reached the end of the growth. And not distinction, not only growth and always processing, 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 just noticing growth, just sitting inside of, huh, look at this growth that's happening right now. Because I believe also sometimes in the world of coaching, we as coaches have so much resource that we overprocess. We think, oh, there's one more thing to do, and there's one more thing to do. And, there- and I don't always want to be the project that I'm working on. I want to just sit inside of the observation of myself. So because I've spent so much time honoring, nourishing, nurturing, connecting with that part of me, it allows me to have that patience, compassion, and awareness of him.
0: That's so powerful. And I want to explore that a little bit more because I almost feel like, or at least for what's coming up for me, is the more you get comfortable with yourself, the better your relationship gets. Yeah. The more you accept yourself, the better your relationship gets.
1: Well, here's what I have found. I have been friends with people that have very different life circumstances and journeys than me. Mm. I mean, you have a very different life history than I have, a very different cultural experience than I have. And so in order for me to be able to be inside of the world you're in, I need to get really curious. I need to get really quiet. I need to be great at asking open-ended questions. I need to be great at listening to what you share and remembering things that mean a lot to me. Because then I celebrate those parts of you and it activates parts inside of me that I may not have had connection to yet or or have explored yet. So by being in that inquiring space, I feel like we expand our ability to accept. And what people want, the basic human need, is to be seen, to be heard, and to be understood. And all of those three together equal to be loved. Mm -hmm. So if I see you and I judge you, I'm separating us. And I believe, I'm I'm a spiritual being rather than a religious being. I believe that universe, God, spirit, whatever you call it, we're not separate. And I believe the big lesson coming into this planet, being a human experience, is acceptance. Seeing that we're not different and that we're not separate, but celebrating our uniqueness. Because some people think unique means we're different. But if you're so much different than me, then I'm not assimilating and connecting with you. I'm recognizing and looking for all the ways that we're different. And if you think about that in the world of relationships, if you're always looking for what's different, the energy underneath different could be, I'm always looking for what's wrong. I'm always looking for what's missing. And that breaks a relationship apart. But if you're looking for what can I add to the relationship to support who a person is, is... Or how a person understands me so we can be together in a more profound and powerful and impactful way. That feels really loving. That feels really generous.
0: So I'm going to share a personal experience that so I can reflect into it is, mm. well, I think one of the toughest journeys that I've had, and I'm still on it, is not that I fully accept myself just yet, is to be able to accept myself for who I am. Yeah. And that has, I know, compromised my expression in the world outside for sure. It has compromised the way I relate to people, of course, because if you can't accept yourself, you go into a party, you want to like sit in a corner, you don't really want to interact with anyone. And I'm sure it has impacted my relationship.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I, I believe that's not a unique thing to me. I think it's a common thing. Like a lot of us struggle with, even when we know we're good and awesome in many ways, we still find it hard to accept ourselves what is it that you have found to be a way or at least to s- get yourself started on the path of saying, how am I going to love myself and accept myself? Mm. Is there any yeah. tool that you found like, hey, this seems to work most of the time? Hmm.
1: I think less than a tool, unless this is what you call a tool, is more of a ritual.
2: Mm. Ritual.
1: I think I have a ritual around it. I think that... I witness how hard on myself I am.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we try to avoid being hard on ourselves. We try to stop being hard on ourselves, But we don't always observe the part inside of us that's being hard. So if someone is hard on someone, what's usually the reason? Someone was hard on them. So if there's a piece of me that's inside of me that's hard on me, who is that? What do they remind me of? What person in my life was like that? For me, my father was very hard on me, very critical of himself and very critical of me. As a young child, I didn't know the difference between feedback as opportunity to potentially grow and learn or feedback to consider or reject. I didn't know that then. I know that now. So back then I felt like I need to take this on. My father believes this about me. I need to fix that about me. That's something wrong because he said so. So that built the ability and the ideal, look at yourself through the lens of what's wrong so you can fix it, so you can be better. So that voice inside of me isn't Monica. That voice inside of me is my dad. So if I hear that voice of critical inside of me, this is really helpful, by the way, because this is what I've been dealing with right now. So if I hear this voice inside of me and it says to me, you don't look like you used to look. Your body doesn't look the same. Your face doesn't look the same. Then what does that voice need? What is that part of me that's saying, I need to say this to you? What is it trying to do? Well, what I think it's trying to do is say, how do you love the way you are right now? So I'm going to point out all the things you don't like so you can work on loving those parts right now. What I hear is, you don't look the way you should look. So the practice or the ritual is observe. Take inventory. What does this sound like? Speak to that part inside, either through journaling or I close my eyes and speak inside my head. And then doing the compassionate self-forgiveness that we've spoken about before. I forgive myself for judging myself as looking not the way that I should look. I forgive myself. And I've done enough years. Compassionate self-forgiveness is a weird tool because... If you don't do it very long, you don't really feel necessarily that it works. But after a long time of doing it, I've experienced that it actually works. I trust it. I believe it. And it works. So I believe saying to myself, I forgive you, just as if I did something to upset you and you said, Monica, it's okay. I forgive you. Mm -hmm. I'd feel relief. When I can hear myself say that and I can feel relief from my own inner voice and my own inner judgment, then I can relax. And when I relax, then I create, what would I like to feel about myself instead? How would I like to replace it? What would I like to put in its place? And then I live that. So I have a practice of self-nurturing. Different from self pampering where I'm doing my nails and doing my hair and doing my face and doing my massage. Self-nurturing is telling myself beautiful things. It's smelling beautiful things. It's creating in my office, you saw it the color-coded books, and all of the little beautiful things that make my background feel like a representation of my heart and my soul. So these little moments that I share with myself, or my altar, sitting at my altar and just admiring the crystals that I've collected, or the cards that I've pulled, or the things that I've experienced, that feels whole to me. And that helps me remember how to love, and that I'm lovable.
0: How long did it take for you to, and I know everybody's journey is going to be different. I'm not inviting to put a benchmark <laughs> in the mind of our listeners, but it is so we know that it can take whatever time that it needs to take. How long did it take for you to have the voice of your father go a little bit quieter, if I may, So, or be able to accept that that's the voice of your father and it's not you actually telling you anything?
1: Yeah. So in 2007 was the beginning of the work Deep Dive on Dad. And it took two years in the program that I was doing. Year one was learning all of the facts. Oh, this is what's happening inside of me. Learning that I had voices in my head. Learning that I had a perception that wasn't my reality. Learning that outer experiences are a reflection of inner reality. Like learning these things that had me see him and me the way that I saw us. In the second year of my master's program, we did a year-long project where we did a spiritual healing of a relationship that was sticky. So it wasn't I'm calling my father every day and working on the relationship. It was I had an action plan of how I was looking at a picture of him and talking to him. I was writing all the things that hurt me from him month after month after month, and then working on the compassionate self-forgiveness pathway. I was creating, when he called and I got triggered, I had a rating scale of one to 10. How did I rate that call? And what was the work I needed to do to love myself and take care of myself after that call, when it was a 10 of upset or, or discontent? So that year, I would say, so probably about 18 months. And this is the magic that happened. It was my birthday. And some of the tools that we would do is we would write down, imagine your father speaking to you. And so I would write a dialogue between my father and I. And I'd done this for about three or four months. And it was a lot of unwinding all these conversations that I had had with my father where I felt like I was in trouble, where I was wrong, I was a bad girl. And I would say, like, Monica, you this and you this and you this. And, and the little girl in me would say, Papa, why are you saying this to me? Don't you see that I'm trying to do this? Don't you see? And then he would write back to me and say, Spatz, I'm so sorry, but this is all I know. I grew up without a lot of guidance. So one day we're at my birthday. And he's sitting at the table and he says, I want to do a toast. And I kid you not, Ajit, at this toast, he said almost verbatim to the month before his writing, because I think I had loosened so much and had become so unattached that he was the words he said, but rather he was going through his own feelings and lack of knowing. He said, Monica, I'm so sorry for all the things that I did when you were a child. I know I was so hard on you. And he went to specifics. I remember when you were sailing in that race and I told you that you need to do better and you need to win. And I never said thank you and good job for what you did do. Thank you for setting up the boat. Thank you for getting us ready. Thank you. And it was in that moment I started crying and I said, Papa, you have no idea how much of my life I waited for you to say these words right now. And in that moment, I felt like, whew, that, that backpack of all the angst that I had carried for years of my life Sometimes in my life, hating this person that could hurt his daughter and wasn't the kind of father I thought a father should be, in that moment, I was able to release it. So I think that when we use these practices, we really have access to letting things go permanently. So I would say it took about 18 months with consistent application of some of the tools that I had.
0: 18 months, and I'm certain they must be very hard, like in the sense of the process that one has to go through and experiences that one has to take through. How much more freedom, joy, alignment do you feel after that?
1: I mean, I was a different woman. I was a different person. The little girl inside of me felt joyful and playful and could have fun and could inspire my writing and my coaching and my interaction with my children. It was like a full transformation. Like, you know, every seven years, our cellular information in our body changes. My entire experience of life shifted in that time.
0: So it's 18 months of, I would say, yes, understanding principles, but also mostly forgiving, applying, mm-hmm. applying and forgiving, right? Mm-hmm. So forgiveness may be considered as the as a way to release in the context. One of the ways to release, right? Yeah. Did that impact your relationship with Jan? Were you with Jan at that time?
1: So, yes, I was with Jan. Yeah. And so in 2000, Jan and I got married.
0: Let's not date ourselves that much, right? So let's okay. not say when we did what.
1: Okay. <laughs> so. Jan and I got married, and when we got married, there was an experience of we love each other, but we don't know how this is going to work. The first year of marriage was a disaster, and we did not know how to navigate. We did not know how to communicate. We did not have the tools. We did not. We did not. We did not. And at the end of the year, I said, I think I'm done. I don't think that I can do this anymore. I don't think – I think I've tried everything I know how to try, and I don't think I can do this. And I was sharing with a friend – My sadness about this, my hurt about this, my frustration about this. And he said, you know, maybe if you'd want to consider it, there's this program that I took that really made a difference in my life. Maybe this would make a difference for you. Mm. And I said, look, nothing can hurt. I'm already not feeling like there's any possibility of it being going to work. So sure, I'll do that. So I do this program and over one night, the very next day, there was an exercise about choice. And the example was that we spend so much time deciphering all the reasons why we can't choose the person that we're with that we never choose them. We always choose the reason. So, in this conversation, we were given the instruction just choose. And so I tried that on like, okay, if I just chose Jan, what would change about my marriage? How would that be different? And what I realized was. Everything would be different because I was never choosing him. I was only choosing my perception and my perspective of him. And my perspective was you aren't doing the things I need you to do, so you need to change or I can't be with you. And I'd never and seen it. And you say it. you're
0: choosing Jan, you're choosing Jan for who he is. That's what you mean? Yeah. And the experience I'm that he's having at that time. Yeah. That
1: anything about him that I judged didn't think was the kind of man that was providing for me, the kind of man that was doing what I think a man should do, that all my rules. Mm-hmm. I was just going to accept him for exactly how he was, how he showed up, what he said, how he said it, how he dressed, how he looked. I was going to just choose him.
0: How do you stop judging somebody else, <laughs> especially somebody that is with you, like, all the time?
1: So healing is the application of loving to the parts inside that hurt, and the parts inside that hurt are a result of all the judgments.
0: So mm-hmm. how do you do that? You say that again. Say that again. That was great. Kay. I wanted to say it slowly Kay. so everybody can hear it.
1: Okay. So healing is the application of loving the parts inside that hurt. Love the parts inside that hurt and you'll heal. Mm -hmm. And judgment is the hurt parts. Love and judgment cannot exist in the same vacuum, in the same room, same energy. So when you love, you release the judgment. And when you judge, you activate the wall that separates your heart from the world And that's where the breakdown in communication and in separation starts to happen. It's like this weird invisible wall. The love doesn't go away. People often say, I fell out of love. No, you just forgot that you had the love there and you weren't fostering the love. You built the wall around your heart. And now the love isn't shining through anymore. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is learn how to put the wall back down over and over. The wall will come up. We can't stop it from doing that permanently. But we can see, oh, the wall's up. Apply love, apply forgiveness, apply compassion, wall comes down, love is available again, now we can have choice. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I chose that day to wake up every morning choosing this man. Mm -hmm. And there was a year and a half of work that we did on our relationship to allow that choice to be permanent.
0: Beautiful. I want to share a question that a student asked me. And we were able to work with it when we were there, but I think this is interesting in the dimension of judgment. Yeah. So this is a lady, I would assume they were, I think she said they were in relationship for like 30-something yeah, 35 years, with this partner of her. She's on a transformation journey right now. She's maybe in her 50s, maybe 60s, I don't know. But she's in this journey where she's learning to apply her lived experience, get the training, and mm-hmm. be somebody who helps other people, impacts lives. And her partner is in the same job that they've been for the past, whatever, 30 years, something. They love their job. Like, they feel like they're perfectly at the right spot. They do not see a reason for them to change anymore. Now, this person that is changing so rapidly because they've made a decision and a choice in their life to do what they want to do with their life, finds it very difficult to be with this person, almost finds the person, not abusive, but... Detractor, let's just call them just detractors to their experience of life. What would be your guidance to an individual like that?
1: Gosh, that's a really powerful question. So I think that there would be multiple layers that I would want to work with. You know, when Jane and I are working with couples, a lot of times we're working with them individually and we're working with them together because our principle and philosophy is if you aren't healthy, what you're putting into the relationship, which is the third entity that we are working with, it's not healthy. And we don't think that the people are broken. We think that the relationship is broken and that people need to change how they activate their relationship. So he's not the problem. The problem is, is that what she wants out of the relationship is not what he's able to provide at this time. So the first thing is, as an individual, what is she doing to get the need that he's not feeling met somewhere else until he's either not going to be in the picture anymore because he's not willing to ever change or shift or understand her and meet her where she needs to be in relationship, or until he shifts and meets her in the relationship the way, where is she getting that need met? Because I think there's a lot of pressure that's put on a partner when your need isn't getting met, they don't know how to meet it, they're not at the same place or season of life with you, and you keep harping on them or getting impatient about it inside of yourself. And then there's this thing called stonewalling where you turn your back against your partner and you're not actually even talking to them anymore because you get so frustrated that all the talking never gets to any result that you just turn your back on the relationship. Well, to a certain degree, you're turning your back on you too, because you're turning your back on the possibility that a miracle could happen or something could change. So we always invite people to consider a miracle could happen. Do you see that as possible? Because if you've lost faith that a miracle could happen, then probably over time their relationship isn't going to actually work. The other thing is we don't think that a relationship should or shouldn't work. We ask, are you willing to keep pouring into the relationship to work on it? So it sounds to me from the story a little bit that maybe he's a little bit more set in his ways and is a little bit more unwilling to work. The work with her is, I wonder why? Is it something that he's going through where he may need additional support that you can't give him because you can't coach you know, your own partner that doesn't work very well in our experience? Or is there a possibility that something that you're doing is activating a trigger inside of him and as a result, the relationship is not feeling safe enough to do the work on it?
0: Mm-hmm. So tactically, let's say we come to this conversation, we have this conversation together as two individuals get these clients to talk to each other. Sure. At the end of it, still, she's the person that is going for change, is being met by stonewalling. Mm-hmm. Is being met by stonewalling, mostly because, because that, and I've seen that happen often mm-hmm. in, in relationships or individuals that come on calls. Of course, it's one person's perspective, so I'm not saying that's actually what's happening, but that tends to be the conversation that comes to uh, these conversations when I'm talking to a client. And what is it, or when is it, that you say, it's time, and do you ever say that or do you just say, listen, this 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 wall, like you said, the judgment wall that has been created has been created over a long period of time and it'll take a long period of time to get back into love?
1: So great question. We don't ever tell people what mm. to do. We don't ever tell people it's time. What we do tell people is when it's time, you'll know. Mm. And this was actually beautiful feedback from... Our coach, when we, back when we were working with her, she said to us, we were going through all of the troubling times, and she said to us, are you ready to leave today? And I said, no. She said, how do you know? I said, because I would have to do this, and I would have to do this, and I, I'm not sure, and I feel like there's more work to do. She's like, then you're, it's not time. Because when I ask you that question, and you say there's nothing else left to do, you've arrived at you know. So she said, you'll wake up one day arriving at, I know. And what that plants as a seed in the client is complete autonomy. You will know. Trust your inner guidance. You will know. Because knowing isn't, well, I think that's not knowing. Mm. So in a client session, if the wife would come to us and say, yeah, but it's not time. Are you ready to go home today and pack your stuff? Are you ready right now to go home and do that? And with most of the clients that are ready, they don't even have to have us ask the question. They come to the session saying, we had the conversation last night. We're complete. Like Mm -hmm. not even, like before we even talked, they have come to the clarity. And perhaps the permission to have the access to the clarity is what a person needs but I want to roll back a little bit to there is often before the end, the biggest push that we will encourage a couple to do is what did you fall in love with in the first place? Go back in time and spend the next week, two weeks, month reliving, retelling the stories, reconnecting, re-inviting that interaction and that connection Playing with the role play, just like you would an intimacy. If you wanted to have something new in your sex life, sometimes you role play. Sometimes you take on different personas and different personalities. I think it's important that people don't forget the mind is so powerful. It will convince you of things that are not in alignment with your heart. So when you go back to the heart space that started the loving in the first place, And really help them find the things they appreciate, admire, love, adore about their partner. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, we didn't fall in love at the beginning. It took time. It's like, great. At the time that it started, you know, we never let the reason, you know, because they look for justification as to why they're ready. But then I go back to that question. Are you ready to leave today?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And have you ever found, and I have no idea if this even happens, not necessarily coaching relationships, is have you found that there's just people who are just so frustrated that that's why they think it's time, even when it's not really time? Because they wake up, they're like, I'm, I'm frustrated for the 10th day straight now with my partner because of you know judgment or whatever the reason might be, different conflicts that could happen. And they go, you know what, I'm just calling it a day, even when they don't really know. Does that happen or that's not a thing?
1: Yeah, for sure it happens. And I also think that it's frustration covering up what? I think mm. they're hurt. Mm. I think people are intensely hurt. And I think often they're hurt and it's residue from when they were a child. And they never fully did the work of their inner child. They never fully healed the misunderstandings. They had information and triggerable material in them. It gets triggered and triggered and triggered, which leads to frustration or anger or, you know, that kind of external expression of, I just can't do it anymore. But if you really go underneath it, it's, I'm hurt because I don't feel seen. I'm hurt because I don't feel loved. I'm hurt because I don't feel appreciated. I'm hurt because I've tried everything and they're not trying at the same level I am. I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. And if you really get them into the hurt and you help them heal the hurt, then the judgment that they place against their partner and the level of frustration can go down. Mm. And then possibly the frustration isn't guiding the reaction. Because if you're in reaction mode, you're going to do a lot of things that your heart wouldn't necessarily guide you to do.
0: I want to explore two things. I'm going to explore actually inner child later, because I think you've addressed that a little bit, but I still want for the audience to kind of get clarity on what that means and what that work means. But I want to talk about a specific example. And this is in my personal experience. So this is between me and Nita, that this could happen sometimes, which is where we would be like in a conversation and it would feel like the other person just cannot hear us. Like it's like I'm not feeling heard because the reflection, and both of us are coaches. So this is like where (laughs) we we are seasoned in this and we are not able to reflect back because we are so in our own... Upset. Upset on our reality where we made a meaning about what somebody did or what she did or in, have done that and she has done that. I we both have recognized it and recognized it later, but in the moment, it is so hard to see. Mm-hmm. We have a trick for it in our relationship. Oh. The trick is to just say "kuna matara" and say, "Let's take a time out. We'll come back to it when we are not in the heightened emotional state." Are there anything recommendation wise for coaches who are in relationships like that where they're just not feeling hurt? For individuals that they may be coaching and they're going, the partner saying, I'm not feeling hurt at all, especially in those moments. What are some of the things, tricks, ideas for somebody to consider?
2: So
1: good. So I think there's a few. What you and Nita did, pause, stop. So we have this expression of when that is happening, going back and forth and back and forth, what's the underlying cause? I'm right and you're right. I believe I'm right about my experience because it's my experience and you believe you're right. And who am I to say that you're wrong? Who am I to say that you're right or wrong about what you think? And who are you to say what I'm right or wrong about? So as a fundamental, we'll teach a coach or a client or someone, like, is it more important to be right or more important to be loving? So to have that context, so like you have the hakuna matata, can the mindset of it be Practice, practice, practice. Am I being right or am I being loving? Am I being right or am I being loving? So ask that question and and ingrain that in your psyche. So that's one. Two is ping pong. When you're going back and forth and trying to prove your point, it's so frustrating. It's so hard. And you get more and more worked up because you're like, I just want you to see what I feel. (laughs) Don't you understand? And if you could see it, then you would understand. Like, I'm not telling you you're wrong, but you're not seeing my point. You know, it's that kind of like... "Mm." feeling right almost like constipation like come on so what we want to experience is we call that ping pong we want someone to take the ball to catch the ball to stop serving it back and forth and back and forth because when you serve it back and forth what happens it elevates you get more and more upset you get more angry at the partner
0: it's so, time to return it harder you're like i'm gonna, you, really you gonna got get this, you. i got this for you as a matter of <laughs> fact if you're playing ping pong or tennis you
1: <laughs> yeah, do you yeah, like end you up do. throwing your racket or something yeah right? So if someone can catch the ball, if someone can have the kind of awareness, and as coaches, we often have the awareness. We just are emphatic little children stomping our feet, having a temper tantrum. So in Jan and my relationship, a lot of times, one of us takes the ball Mm -hmm. and like take a deep breath, ground myself in, okay, I'm going to take the ball. Tell me what you need me to hear right now that I am not hearing because I see that you're upset. Mm. And I may still be angry, but I'm not projecting the anger over there. I'm sitting in my anger over here and holding in my loving for him. I love him. Okay, I want to hear I want to hear your stupid thing that you're about to say to me, but I'm going to be neutral about what you're going to say. Mm. Like even if I have a judgment, I want to hear it because what that does in that moment is it allows you permission to be you. It goes back to the choice thing. It allows you to be you. So that has really helped. Now, in the heat of a moment, without the tools and not actually being a coach and being well-seasoned, what a person can't often do is let the emotional thermometer go down. So as you get better and better at understanding an emotional thermometer, you can say, what number are you? I'm a freaking 10. And you say to me, well, what number are you? Well, I'm a seven. Okay, good. So I'm a 10. I need to walk away. So it's that space that people have. But before you go to walking away, we always teach our clients, have the preliminary conversation in a session or, or when you're in neutral, happy mode. Hey, I just want to let you know. When we're in a heated argument and I get to a 10 inside of myself, whether you ask or not, if I'm at a 10, I'm going to walk away. Mm -hmm. Know that I'm not walking away from you. I'm walking away because of me. Mm -hmm. So we give them that tool. Mm -hmm. And we encourage them to have that conversation and that agreement when you make an agreement with your partner and you you can then fulfill on that agreement. When you say akuna matata and you disappear for a second, however long it takes you to get back to some sort of neutral. And then the big lesson is how do you go from a 10 to a 5 or a 10 to a 2? Because in a 2, under a 5, we believe couples can talk it out. Mm-hmm. But over a 5, it's fire-breathing dragon burn-off-your-eyebrows time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's so true. That's so true. And and that's why we build that. Because we're like to regulate ourselves emotionally, okay. you need a hot yeah. minute. Well, and it and gives so you, you go, permission. Hey, yeah.
1: Like the worst thing ever, if you see a child having a tantrum and you tell them to stop crying,
0: mm-hmm.
2: what do they do more? They start um, screaming
1: and yelling and kicking and then mm-hmm. maybe even kicking you and biting you. Yeah. And you wonder like, what's wrong with my child? Nothing. You invalidated their emotional experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, so true.
1: A state change can't happen always when you're in the emotional upset. Right. The other thing is is we talk about four realms physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual realms. Most people in that height of upset, one is in the logical realm and one is in the emotional realm. They're not meeting each other and each one are frustrated. So if you can meet someone in the emotional realm, be with them. I really am so angry and I see how angry you are and you call it out. Sometimes that can actually reduce the level of the upset because in that moment you feel seen. Mm -hmm. So those are just some of the tools that we use.
0: No, oh, those are amazing. And I think anybody that's listening, I think the key is to listen to these tools and then practically say, okay, I'm going to start practicing A, B, C, whatever, wherever you want to start. I think if you start somewhere, you've made great progress. And then you can revisit this episode, get next batch of tools and the next batch of tools and the next batch of tools. And and it it will always enhance the relationship. I know it did enhance our relationship to be able to do that one tool, like to be able to say, okay, whoever knows that we are now kind of getting into the thing without actually, like we're going to say something that's going to hurt the other person for no reason whatsoever, but but because our emotional state is there, like a 10, like you said. Whoever catches it first just says, hey, Hakuna Matata, let's come back to this.
1: Yeah, And And then we'll come back to it. When you say Hakuna Matata, someone caught that ball.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how it is. Like basically somebody, whoever caught it, said Hakuna Matata, the other person can still be all fired up and feel like they've not been heard, but we know that it's okay to walk away. Say it's okay.
1: Yeah, and so when you come back, I think that's a very important part of the conversation.
0: Yeah,
1: When you come back after the heat and you feel, the word we use is more neutral, how do you actually navigate being in that neutral state, talking through the points? Mm
0: -hmm. For us? Yeah. It's usually, it it tends to be because we have neutralized our emotions, both of us have rationalized the situation, Mm -hmm. or have somewhat leaned into the experience of the other person. Mm -hmm. That's at least what tends to happen, is like, why did we get into that fight? And usually I would go, that's what maybe Nita's reality is. And that's why she is getting all triggered about it. This is what I was feeling, which is why I was getting triggered about it. So when we come back, it starts with kind of like, um, sorry that you had to hear what I had to hear. I was emotionally riled up. I want to talk about this. Are you open to talking about this? And if the other person is not back to neutral yet, they will say not yet. And we want to talk about it tomorrow or whatever. Idly within the day is the idea. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, it's like, all right, if you need to sleep it off, sleep it off. And we'll talk about it tomorrow. And that's okay too. And then we would go, okay, let's talk about it. And then we'll reflect on what was the experience. Now, because the, we've processed that a little bit, I mm-hmm. feel like you do not at least we don't tend to get riled up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to be more respectful of the conversation and understanding of the other person. And then so it doesn't really manifest as a fight again, at least not in our, our relationship, not, not as of now.
1: Yeah. I feel yeah. that a couple of the keys that you say that I think coaches really get to help their clients practice is this idea of getting into their world. Yeah. Because you get so impacted by the world you're in, but you love your partner. And loving your partner means accepting that where they're at isn't where you're at. So I think that what you're sharing about that is a really important part that we talk about a lot and work on a lot in our own relationship and with our clients is how do you honor the person you're with? How do you be with them through whatever they're going through? Because it's not always even in fight situations when a partner is grieving something really hard. We live in a time right now where there's so many things that are so hard going on in the world. And one partner relates to it as not a big deal and the other part of it relates to it as the end of the world and the partner that relates to it as not a big deal might be insensitive to the partner who feels like it's the end of the world and so if you can get into your partner's world even if you're different about what it is then it validates their experience and they feel acceptable they feel somewhat of that external validation of their internal love so I think that's a really important part of it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So so true. I want to explore inner child. You, you kind of said the word. I feel like you kind of explored that already when we were talking about your story. But I don't know if everybody's familiar with, A, what it means and why it's so important.
1: So inner child work is simply when we were growing up as a younger child, we experienced a whole bunch of things. And at that time, we didn't have the tools to necessarily process what we were going through. If you had a father like mine, you were told that you needed to be the best student. And and if you weren't the best, if you weren't the fastest runner, if you weren't the best, then I don't appreciate you as much or I don't give you the attention that the best would get. So then I feel like I'm not a good girl. I feel like there's something wrong with me. And I believe that as a child to be true. But in that time when I'm a child, I make a decision. I never want to be a disappointment. I never want to be a bad girl. So the rest of my life, I don't go back in time to when I was a little child and say, well, that was just that one time. I believe that I've made that decision when I'm too young to know any other way. That now the rest of my life, I'm going to make sure I never disappoint people, which means I'm going to show up wearing a mask so that people see the person I am the way I think they want me to be. I say yes to things I'm actually a no to. I give more than I actually receive. I don't know how to receive because I've limited that muscle because I don't feel worthy of that. And it becomes a lifelong pattern. So, so many of our clients come to us and they're having a conflict in their relationship, in their work situation right now. And we say to them, tell us about how that feels. Tell us about what that is. And we ask all about, and we're trying to elicit and activate, what is the feeling that this causes in you? I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I'm hurt. I'm annoyed. I'm angry. Okay, great. Can you ride those emotions back to the earliest time when you remember another time? When you were a teenager, when you were an adolescent, when you were a young child, when's the earliest time you can remember similar feelings? And what typically happens? Oh, I was five years old or I was seven years old, and my mom yelled at me in the kitchen, and she didn't see that I was helping my brother, but my brother fell over, started crying, and she started yelling at me. And in that moment, I thought, I always have to be the best person. I have to be the best sister, the best daughter, the best, and so I'm going to be perfect my whole life. And now I'm scared to make a mistake. And now I'm an overproducer and an overachiever and I hate my life and I have ulcers. You know, it has physiological Mm -hmm. impacts. So inner child work is the work of going back in time and resourcing what was the earliest memory so that I can heal and be the me now can go back to that little one then and tell them what they needed to hear then that they weren't reminded of and weren't told then. And then when we can heal that, and we go back memories after memories after memories, we can heal that, then they can make a new decision.
0: Hmm. That
1: decision they made so many years ago can be transformed into a new choice, a new way of seeing the world. So if I felt like I don't want to ever be a disappointment, my new decision can be I am an empowering, uh, loving, mother-like figure who recognizes my yeses and my nos. I could say that. And now I'm going to go into life. And when situations happen, I'm not going to try to transform myself into what I think the person or the situation needs. I'm going to show up in my empowered self. And then I'm going to spend weeks, months, years building the muscle of trusting that I can do that.
0: It's just my curiosity is, and this is a curiosity also comes because I'm a parent, right? I got two kids and I wonder what is nature, what is nurture and how much is nature, how much is nurture? And while there are things to heal, how do you know which things do you really need to heal and what something is actually that has nurtured you, even it may sound painful, has nurtured you to become something that you always wanted to be or appreciate about yourself? As my own backstory, I found that a lot of things that I had in life that I thought were painful have served me really powerfully. Mm-hmm. So I don't even want to heal my child a lot of the times. I'm like, yeah, I know that was painful, but that has created a version of me or invited me into a nurtured personality where it actually supports what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So how do you know?
1: So first of all, thank you for sharing your story. And I think it's a little different. Mm. So... If it's disturbing your peace today, and you keep finding that you get triggered when Nita says something to you, asks you to do something, and you're quick to knee-jerk reaction. And you're a very calm person. You're a very (laughs) relaxed person. So there's very little that activates you in that way. But were there to be certain things that really activated you, that would be the thing. You're not trying to Rewrite history so you erase what happened. Ever. And you're not erasing what happened. What you're doing is, if there's something that's impacting how you operate in today, in society, in your life, in your relationships today, that isn't serving what you really want to be and what outcomes you really want to have, which I can't predict for you, only you can, then that would be what you'd want to go back in time and heal with your little one because there's something inside of them that keeps trying to compensate now. My father taught me lots of things that were very painful and it was critical to become the woman that I am, to have the tenacity that I have, to have the context for healing that I have, to be the coach I am today. I, I needed to have the father. Thank God for the father that I had. But healing it doesn't change what it created in me. Healing it has it not run me in a way that negatively impacts my relationships. So the difference between what I feel like you're saying is it must happen the way that it happened because it did. Mm-hmm. And healing it doesn't take away the greatness that it created in you. But that greatness you're using and thriving, you're not changing that. But if something is disturbing your peace, why you go to a coach is to help either elevate where you are because you're stuck where you are and you want to get to the next step, or you want to enhance what you currently have in your field of view and you want to expand your field of view, you want to add, so you go to get education, or you want to stop feeling like there's a limitation, a glass ceiling, a stuckness, so that you can go and do that. So... As I'm raising my children, I'm seeing all the moments where I'm causing the future therapy. And sometimes I'll even bring it to their awareness. I'll say, hey, this is probably one of those moments where someday you're going to be sitting and talking to a coach, Mm -hmm. talking to a therapist, talking to someone. But I also sit with them and say, I want you to know that I love you and I attempt to be in their world enough to have them not make the decision that it means something about them permanently. Mm -hmm. I hope that what I'm implanting in my children is you get to get mad about that and you get to feel this way about that. And how else could you feel about this? Is there any other way just to create that neurological flexibility in their mind so that when they're older, they give themselves permission to see it any other way than just the way that it's hurting them?
0: Yes. And I, I agree with you on all of those pointers. And again, like I said, it's just because we have to run <laughs> out of the studio is more so that I have to, I have to contain this conversation. I would love to explore this more, but I do want to talk about two, maybe one of the ideas. Okay. So when the challenge that I have sometimes okay. is that I find people being addicted to the healing process, Yes, that they think they can't get anywhere because they must heal first. Yes, And while i understand in some situations that is true what i struggle to accept is that we must stop to heal
2: yeah
0: i feel like we must move and then heal at the same time, like there is no reason to say, oh, because my daddy was not giving me money. Now I need to sit with this abundance block for 72 years before I can make any money. I feel like there is a line mm-hmm. that one must, at least that's my my belief system there or my perception of it is to say, yes, I have challenges and I must work through it. Mm-hmm. And they will heal when they will heal. At this point, I need to go. Do you see... A fundamental problem with that thinking.
1: No, I, I, I agree with that thinking. I think that when people feel like they need to keep healing and doing more and more and more work and they have to stop their life or they can't move into activating themselves. But I think that that's at the core of misunderstanding. And I think that the coach or the inside of a person, it's What does the desire to stop and always be healing, what is it giving me permission for? Because what I feel like it's doing is saying, I have an excuse as to why I don't have to actually heal. So if I'm healing and I'm growing, what we don't know is what part of the healing is actually going to work. We don't know that just by declaring one day I'm healed, that that isn't what it would take. We don't know that. We think because there's so much modality out there in the world that's offered to us, and this friend did this and that worked for them and this friend did this and that, (laughs) we think I need to go do all those things to see which one is the thing. And I think endemic in that is, and that means I'm not healed yet. And I think what you're bringing forward is we get to change the paradigm that says, I am healing always. I'm healing when I stub my toe on the ground, but I'm not gonna not go out in the world while my toe is stubbed. I'm gonna figure out how to do it so it doesn't bleed and doesn't hurt, but I'm going to be in the world. So if we can help a client or understand ourselves, where am I putting up the walls against my own ability to be inside of the world the way I am? Because here's the problem also. So long as we pursue healing, we're also making an internal assumption, an assessment that we need it. So the opportunity to heal is less. Yeah. Same thing. Sunday. Long ago, I used to give clients advice. I thought that was the way you coach. And of course, thank God I learned. But I thought that's what I you hire me. I know <laughs> I need to give you advice. That's what I thought. And what I saw is every time I would give someone advice, it would take them all the while longer to heal. So... Thank God, many, many, many years ago and through my master's program, I no longer had to give any advice. I I knew you have all the resources in you. Let me just keep asking you the questions and poke and poke and poke and poke and guide and guide and guide and and give you the flashlight and say, look over here too. And then one day you're going to say, oh, I see how all of these pieces work together. And a big part of what I do is I'm going to challenge what you think right now. I'm going to challenge how you just said that right now. I'm going to challenge that the words you use may keep you stuck. Could you use different words? Not going to give them the words, not going to tell them that it's right or wrong, but going to challenge them to consider other things so that they don't stay stuck.
0: Beautiful. What a way to bring it home. Thank you so much for coming down today, Monica, and having this conversation with me. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. From what I know, for people to know more about you, they go to janandmonika.com, which That's is spelled right. as J-A-N-A-N-D-M-O-N-I-K-A.com. That's right. You will also find it at show notes. What else would you like to tell our listeners today? Is there something or someplace else you would also want them to visit?
1: I'd really love them to go to YouTube. YouTube. We are doing a lot of work and sharing a lot of, you know, Jan and I sit in conversation and talk about clients and situations and coaching and our own life. We're very transparent. Because we've been through a lot of things and we pray that it it helps other people, you know, yeah. supports them in what they're doing. So going to uh, Jan and Monica in YouTube or The Rich Relationship in YouTube is great.
0: Absolutely. So go to YouTube.com, subscribe to The Rich Relationship with Jan and Monica. Mm-hmm. You absolutely want to be in that world because as you must have seen in this conversation and if you've already posted Jan's conversation that these are full heart-centered people that is gonna add tremendous amount of value to your life. So go ahead to YouTube right now and go subscribe to that channel, you're gonna love it. Thank you again, Monica, for coming and taking the time. It was amazing talking to you.